0: Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. Uh, Good morning, everyone. I hope you guys are having a good morning so far. Amen? Amen? I want to welcome everyone who's joining us in the house today. As well as those who are watching us online, we are super, super excited to continue to to minister to you and to meet with you. But before we get into today's message, we just outlined a really, really high level, a a quick Memorial Day video. We want to take a, a moment to recognize all the brave men and women who have given their lives for the freedom that you and I get to enjoy every single day in this country. On behalf of Living Water Community Church, we salute you, we appreciate you, we remember you, and we thank you. Thank you, Lord. We are in the middle of a series called Let's try again. We're in the middle of a series called I'm gonna try to do it like Pastor Rick does it. In a series called Say What. Is that kind of Pastor ish You got to like get your, like your eyes got to twitch or something like that, right? Say, what? You know how it goes. In this sermon series, we've been looking at, at some popular spiritual sayings, some spiritual statements, and seeing that uh, um, some of them may seem like they're legit. They may seem like they're right there and they, they have the right place in the Bible, but they kind of may be, you know, semi-quasi-Bible-ish. Right? We've kind of associated them to a spiritual thing or something that must be in the Bible, but you know, maybe a twist on words, maybe a word added or a word taken out a little bit. And so far we've learned from, from a couple weeks ago that the phrase, money is the root of all evil, is not actually in the Bible. Right? The love of money, very important, very distinct difference. Last week we also spoke about the unpardonable sin. The things that God cannot forgive. And God establishes his laws and he establishes his rules. And once God has established a law and a rule, he himself cannot go against it. He cannot go against even his own rules because he's established them. Amen? If you've missed either of those two messages, I want to encourage you, go check out our YouTube channel and get up to date with all of them. Today we're going to continue in this series... And we're going to explore the statement, God helps those who help themselves. Before we go any further, I'm going to stop and I'm going to pray because I think some of you might need some prayer before we go into this mess. I'm just joking. But I am going to pray. Lord, thank you for Lord, the, the, the privilege and the opportunity to, to share your word, Father. Lord, I pray that, that You would you would speak to me in a way that that is effective to your, the people that you're trying to reach, Father. I pray right now that you would soften hearts, Lord, that you would prepare our minds to receive what, what you may have to say to us today, Father, and I pray that no one leaves here the way that they came. We thank you for what you're going to do and what only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So by a show of hands, how many of you have heard that saying before, God helps those who help themselves. Now, if you believe the statement that God helps those that help themselves, I want to tell you that you're actually in the you're in the majority. If you think that that statement is in the Bible, you are in the majority. A recent survey conducted said that 68% 68% of Christians believe that that statement is in the Bible. So is it? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Right? Well, I'm going to read to you the actual parable where, the, where this phrase comes from, where it was first used. And I want you to decide if this is coming from the Bible or not. There may be a couple clues in the, in the, in the parable that I'm going to read, and you can determine if this is coming from the Bible or if it's not from the Bible. A wagoner was once driving a heavy load along a very muddy way. He came to a part of the road where the wheels sank halfway into the mire. And the more the horses pulled, the deeper sank the wheels. So the wagoner threw down his whip, knelt down, and prayed to Hercules. Oh, Hercules, help me in my hour of distress. But Hercules appeared to him and said, man, don't sprawl there. Get up and put your shoulder to the wheel. The gods help them that help themselves. Bible or not Bible? Not not. Not even close. If anyone thinks that Hercules is in the Bible, we have another discussion to have after this message. All right, all right can't fool you guys. So we can't can't conclude that this passage is not in the Bible. This was actually one of Aesop's fables. It was one of Aesop's fables, and the last last line of it was popularized by Benjamin Franklin back in the 1700s. And so much so that that's why we still have it in our common vernacular today. God helps those who help themselves was something from Aesop's fables, that Benjamin Franklin used in one of his books. And to this day, we still use it. And a lot of people align it with scripture. God helps those who help themselves. And if I'm, if I'm completely honest, if I stop and I think about all the different things that, that are this kind of quasi-Bible-ish um, type, type, type statement, in my opinion, this one sounds like it could have come from the Bible. Like, if you didn't know the story and you didn't know any better, you might just say, that sounds good. It sounds good. Um, And I want to tell you that, even though it's technically not in the Bible, just like many other Bible-ish cliches, there is a grain of truth to this. There is a grain of truth to this, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. You see, you can find places in the Bible where people are scolded, people are rebuked for their lack of initiative, biblically. I'm going to read one for you right now. 2 Thessalonians. This is Paul speaking to the, the, the people in Thessalonia. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. Who likes people who meddle in others' businesses? We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn their own living. So Paul is reprimanding the Thessalonians because many of them, upon hearing that the Lord is coming back, the second coming of Jesus, they heard about this and everyone's anticipating it. And what they decided to do, good or bad, right? They decided, well, I'm just gonna focus on waiting for the second coming of Jesus, which means I'm not going to work. I'm just going to focus on Jesus. And at, at face value, that might sound good, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Let me put everything to the side. I just want to focus on Jesus. Where's that trumpet blast? Jesus, come on. I'm waiting. No, no, no. I can't do that right now. I'm waiting for Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Right now. Come on. That's what they're doing. But basically what he's telling them, what Paul is telling them is, hey, get off your keister and get back to work because that is more Christ-like than sitting idly and mooching off your neighbors. You didn't hear me. Get back to work because that is more Christ-like than sitting around and taking advantage of other people and mooching off of your neighbors. So there are passages like this in the Bible that talks about us um, people needing to help themselves, right? The concept behind God helps those who help themselves. And I'll tell you that what Paul is saying there, that scripture, it does apply today. It does apply today. So we haven't varied that far from that scripture where it really still applies today. Get off your keister. Stop mooching off of people. That's a word right there by itself. But that's not what I'm focused on today. But with that, along those lines, it's very, very common for people to, to, to place the responsibility or the blame... On God, that they should assume themselves. We live in a society, we live in a world where everyone wants to point the finger at someone else and blame someone else for why I didn't do this or why I'm not doing good in here or why this is a challenge or this, that, and the other. Maybe some of it is legit. Maybe some of it is. But not all of it is legit. But we're a society that's very quick to point the finger and say, it's because of that person. It's because of this policy. It's because of what they did to me, why I'm unable to get ahead. Guess what? It's not up to God to give you an A on your test. It's not up to God for you to try to get in better health. That's not up to God. It got real quiet in here. Those are things that I'm responsible for. If I don't study for the test, I cannot expect God to give me an A on the test. If I decide I'm going to sit around and eat, eat cookies and McDonald's all day long and not get any form of exercise, I can't expect God to turn me into Arnold. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I need to do my part as well. Amen? Amen. 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 Now that I got that out of the way. I wanna talk about a different scenario, a different scenario tied to the same statement, different situation, specifically, what if you can't help yourself? What if you can't help yourself? What do you do if you literally cannot help yourself? You want to, but you can't help yourself. We may think that a lot of people are down and out because they won't help themselves because they don't want to help themselves. We feel that way a lot, I know it's, maybe it's just me and I don't wanna look at people with through judgmental eyes, but sometimes when I see things, I'm like, you don't wanna help yourself, you don't wanna help yourself. But the reality is there are situations where people want, may wanna help themselves, but they are unable to, they cannot help themselves. So what does the Bible say about people who truly can't help themselves? Well, let's look at one example in the book of Luke. Luke five. One day, while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and the teachers of religious law were sitting nearby, and the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Some, man, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up on up on the roof of the house, took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the house, into the crowd where Jesus was, right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, the friends were talking about, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, that's key. Who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. I love when, it, I love when you see scriptures that, that say that they, were, they said to themselves or they thought this thought, and then you see Jesus respond to the thought that they had or the discussion they were having over here on the side. I love when he does that. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome. So Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And immediately say immediately. As everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, We have seen amazing things today. It's, it's crazy when I read stuff like that, because all I'm thinking to myself is, all these Pharisees and all the, the religious leaders are trying to get, a, get this idea of, Who is Jesus? Who is this man that claims to be God? And then he does something like that right in in front of their eyes and it's still not enough to let them understand, hey, there's something different about this guy. It's like, no, he's still doing whatever. To me, like, wow, I I just, you know what? I'm gonna believe what you're saying because there's something more to you. There's something more to you. A paralyzed man is brought to Jesus for healing by four of his friends. And notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, Jesus saying, do something for yourself first and then I'll help you. Doesn't say that. He doesn't say, if you want help, what will you do for me in return? How can you help yourself? Huh? He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I've already helped you before. No mas. Doesn't say that. He didn't say that. Instead, he commends the four friends for their mighty faith and using it in service of their helpless friend. That's how he responded. The first problem with the statement, God helps those who help themselves, is that it doesn't acknowledge this web of interdependence in which we exist. This web of interdependence. I want to tell you something today. Despite what many people think, and there's books and there's songs and there's all these different movements about it, we were made to be interdependent. See, I crossed out independent there. You see that, right? We were made to be interdependent. We need God. And we need each other. I need you. And you need me. You need me. But I need you. And the reality of life is that some of us need each other more than others, and that's okay. We come out of the womb completely dependent on others for survival. And while the degree of dependence varies and changes over the course of our life, it never goes away. We are interdependent on others. We always need each other, always need each other. The statement, God helps those who help themselves, implies a self-sufficiency. I can do it on my own, I don't need anyone else. It implies that. And that's in direct contradiction to what we learn about God from scripture. Direct opposite of what God says. From the very beginning when God said, let us create humans in our image, we've learned that we serve a God who is relational a God that's about relationship. If anyone, if anyone comes, to, comes to this thing called Christianity thinking that this is just a religion, you're missing the mark. This is about a relationship with our Heavenly Father and with each other. He created humanity, you and me, in order to be in relationship with all of us. And God stuck with us. God didn't turn his back on us. God stuck with us even when we did things like we forsake him. God stuck with us even when we kill one another. And Lord knows there's a lot of that going on in this world. He stuck with us when we turn our backs on him. When we use him for our convenience. When it's helpful to us. He stuck with us when we turn around and use his name as a common curse word. He's stuck with us when we ignore Jesus. God calls us to be in relationship with him and with others. He is not leaving. He is never going to turn his back on you or me. We are called to be interdependent beings, not independent beings. God takes it a step further here. He takes it a step further because not only are we supposed to be in relationship with him and relationship and have interdependence with each other, the people that he loves, but we're also called to pay special attention to those among us who aren't able to help themselves. Remember, I, sw- I said a little earlier, there's, there's some people that, that just can't help themselves. Even if they want to, they are not in a position to help themselves. The reality is there are people who are unable to help themselves. Bottom line, there are people that are unable to help themselves. There's people trapped in poverty, born into poverty, and don't see a way out. There's people that are struggling financially. People caught in circumstances that leave them them frustrated or dealing with with past mistakes that they've made. Now they're living with it, and they don't have a way out people dealing with the consequences of making bad choices. I tell my kids all the time, you, gotta, you guys got to think I have young ones. I have 14, 11, and 9. And I tell them from now that you guys got to really be careful what you do because the decisions that you make right now, these things can affect you when you're 20, 30, 40, 50 years old. It's, this is not a game. Decisions that you make at, at a young age will impact you years later and you won't even know the impact until it hits you sometimes people are in a hole so deep that they can't climb out without someone helping them there's no way they're going to ever going to be able to climb out if someone doesn't help them and over and over in the bible god gives us direction and wisdom on his expectation in those scenarios Proverbs 21, 13. Those who shut their ears to the cries of the poor will be ignored in their own time of need. That's a hard word. That's a hard word. People who ignore the cries of the poor will be ignored in your time of need. This is the word of God. Proverbs 22. Blessed blessed are those who are generous because they feed the poor. So on the exact opposite of that, when you do what God is asking you to do and and the expectation he sets, he's going to bless you. He's going to bless you for that obedience. I love this one, James 1. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress. So one of the primary accusations against the Israelites that we'll see in scripture that led God to punishing them was that they didn't take care of the widows and the orphans among them. What's common about widows and orphans? They have no one. There is no one that is fending for them. They're left on their own. God, they have a very special place in God's heart. Don't ever forget that that scripture that scripture is calling out widows and orphans. And as a result of Israel not, not following God's expectation and God's law and the decrees that he had established, he punished the nation because, that they, because of their disobedience to this law. Let me read it for you, Isaiah 10. What sorrow awaits the unjust judges? And those who issue unfair laws, they deprive the poor of justice and deny the rights of the needy among my people. They prey on widows and take advantage of orphans. What will you do when I punish you? When I send disaster upon you from a distant land, to whom will you turn for help? Where where will your treasures be safe? Where can you hide from God? You will stumble along as prisoners or lie among the dead. But even the Lord's anger will not be satisfied. His fist is still poised to strike. Even after you're a prisoner, or your treasures are, are gone because they can't hide, or he punishes you, that's still not gonna satisfy, that's still not gonna satisfy him. Be, that's how important taking care of those that cannot take care of themselves is to God. Amen? Amen. You see, Isaiah here is criticizing the Israel leaders, the ones that, that make the laws and pass the laws, and they, turn aside, they turned aside the laws to be beneficial to the needy people. They made the law so it didn't, didn't benefit the needy and those that were in, in, in help. They were not getting the justice that they deserved as the poor, as the orphans, as the widows, and they were robbing poor people of their rights. God had a problem with this. Now, the message here is not to encourage others to selfishly help themselves, but to help others in need, especially if those others in need are unable to help themselves. If they can do nothing, that's, what God, that's the bottom line of what I'm trying to say to you here. This is on God's heart. This is on God's heart. So you want to know what the Father thinks about this? It's written in black and white text for you to see. Jesus shares the same Matthew, the same message in Matthew 25. Matthew 25. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep. At his right hand and the goats to his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, the sheep, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick. And you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? I, I, I find I'm gonna pause there for a second. I find that scripture interesting. When did we ever see you hungry um, and feed you? Because all I keep say, all I keep hearing is: as humans, we, we have our eyes focused on the thing that we know. You know, we want, we want Jesus to recognize us. So you know, I'm keeping my eyes open to see what's going on with Jesus. Where's Jesus? I don't want to miss the boat. I want to make sure that I'm paying my attention. And when the person is coming to the side and saying, hey, I need some help. I'm down on my luck. Says, no, no, no. I'm waiting for Jesus. I'm waiting for Jesus. I don't have time for you right now. I'm waiting for Jesus. That's what that's saying to me. Lord, when did we see you and not feed you? <laughs> or thirsty and, give, and not give you something to drink? Or a stranger... And not show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing. When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. So while you're focused on when's Jesus coming, come on, Jesus, I'm ready. Let's go. Let's do this. Let's change the world. Use me, Lord. I want to be used by you. No, 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 no. Sorry, I can't. I'm not busy right now. Come on, Lord. Come on, Lord. No, go away, man. Just leave me alone. Lord, I'm waiting. Are you catching the picture? Are you seeing what God's trying to tell us? Folks, what we do for others, especially those in need and unable to help ourselves, we do it for Jesus. Yes. We're doing it for the Lord. And I want to tell you something really important. And this might this might, you know, disrupt someone a little bit, but I'm okay with that. It's not our job to judge whether or not someone is capable of helping themselves or not. It's not our job to judge that. It's our job to embody God's relational loving spirit and to simply help them if we're in a position to do that. Amen. It's our job not to judge whether they can help themselves but do what we can do to represent Christ to them. Amen? Amen. Amen. If you haven't figured it out by now, God most often uh, meets the needs of hurting and struggling people by acting through other people. That's how he does it. It's about relationship. It's interdependency. It's using people, and that's you, and that's me. Could God drop a million dollars out of the sky in someone's lap? He could. Is that what God is going to do? Probably not. I wouldn't mind if he dropped it on my lap. But I'm I'm not holding my breath on it. But I know that there's needs. And God knows that he's figured out a plan to meet those needs. It's a matter of whether or not you're falling in line with God's plan or not. There's one more issue with the statement, God helps those who help themselves. And it's really the heart of the gospel message. There's an issue here, and it's simply this. When it comes to salvation, when it comes to our eternal soul, God helps us because none of us can help ourselves. We can't help ourselves only God can help us eternally only God not God and not God if only God can help us eternally none of us can help ourselves enough to make it into heaven on our own merit it's impossible it's not going to happen and I'm sorry to tell you if you think otherwise you're not the exception to the rule Now as I come to a close today, I want to tell you that if if what I just said surprised you or if what I just said is waking you up like what? What's he talking about? I can't get to heaven without God and only God can do this. If that's if that's waking you up or if that's not sitting right with you, maybe 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 a little uncomfortable, I want to say let's count that a blessing. Count a wake-up call a blessing. Amen? Because God wants your attention. And he wants you. Now I'm going to ask everyone to to bow their heads and close their eyes. And I want to give every single person here an opportunity to come into a relationship with the lover of your soul. And for some, this may be the first time they're ever going to accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, understanding that only God can save your eternal soul. And for others, you know who Jesus is. You've maybe started down the path in your relationship with him. But Jesus is calling you and saying, brother, sister, let's work on this relationship. Let's make this relationship a little, a little, a little stronger. Let's make, it, let's make it new. I want to tell you that we serve a God that's not a God of one chance or two, two chances or three strikes and you're out. We serve a God that is there waiting. If you've ever seen like a, like a dog that wants to go for a walk, that's just down there looking at you, waiting, can we go for a walk now? Can we go for a walk now? I'm not trying to compare God to a dog. But I'm saying, in the same way the dog is anxious and wants your time and your attention, God wants your attention. God wants your time. If you fall into either of those two two categories, you wanna renew your relationship or you wanna start a relationship brand new, I'm gonna lead you in a, a simple prayer. There's no magic in the prayer. You don't have to be an eloquent speaker to say the prayer. It's all about the condition of your heart. And there's one person that can see your heart. So right now, with every eye closed and head bowed, say something like this if if this applies to you. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be called your child. Father, I thank you that you allow me to come to you and that you will not judge me. You're not going to criticize me. Lord, you will show me the right way and correct things that need to be corrected. But Lord, I recognize it's out of love. Father, I ask right now that you would come into my heart, that you'd renew me from the inside Lord, that I would be a changed person. Father, I thank you for for the sacrifice that you made for me 2,000 years ago. Lord, I acknowledge that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And Lord, I thank you that you shed your son's blood for me. Lord, I don't take that lightly. And I, I accept this free gift. Lord Jesus, please come into my heart. Father, from this day forward, I it's my commitment to do my best to follow you in a way that's honoring to you. And I ask that you would give me the strength and the boldness and the courage to do that. Father, I pray that you'd help me make necessary decisions in order to get, stay on your page, Father. Lord, I ask that you would bless me a hundredfold. I give you all the honor and all the praise for you alone are worthy of my praise, my honor, and my sacrifice, Father. Come into my heart, be with me today and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already. And share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love To spread like wildfire. So, thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.